0: to not only be hearers, but also be doers. We thank you for this opportunity, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, most of you know that uh, from mid-November through the end of the year, we have been in Luke, and just giving you a fresh opportunity to read a little bit about Jesus. Uh, Jesus is the reason for the season, and I know that the season is difficult for a lot of us, and... um, I think it best for us to just kind of get to know Jesus a little bit better, don't you? Yeah. Because there's hope in Jesus. the original Christmas wreath comes from a Christian symbol that is to represent that in Jesus we have hope without end. hope without end. I know sometimes you're taking down the Christmas decorations, it might feel like they will never end, <laughs> but in Jesus we have hope. Without end. And so we've kind of worked our way backwards in the story from the cross in mid November to the, the birth and the Christmas story last week. And today I want to come back to the end of the story. It's a little bit of a Hebrew approach, if you will. But to Luke 24, are you ready? Half of you, I love that you are ready. Okay, Luke 24, I'm going to read from the New Living. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Remember what we told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his eleven disciples and everyone else. What had happened? It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But when the story set, but the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty, empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. That same day. Two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened 3 days ago. Then some women from our group of his, uh, from the group of our, his followers were at the tomb early this morning and they came back with an amazing report. They saw said his body was missing. They had seen angels who had told them that Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see and sure enough his body was gone just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he was going on. But they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them as they sat down to eat. He took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, "'Didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us?' And within the hour they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, "'The Lord has really risen,' he appeared to Peter. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road, and how they recognized him as he was breaking the bread." And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself suddenly was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you so frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands, look at my feet. You can see it's really me. Touch me. Make sure that I'm not a ghost, because ghosts don't have bodies. As you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, Do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. Then he said, When I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said, Yes. It was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that his this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my father promised, But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with the power from heaven. Then Jesus led them to Bethany, and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So they worshiped him and then returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy. And they spent all of their time in the temple praising God. Now this is where Luke Leaves off in this account, but truthfully, the story continues in Acts as Luke picks up with what happens next at the beginning of Acts if you're wanting to continue to read the story. Now, we've been filling in the blank since mid November. Jesus is, and our theme today is really simple Jesus is alive. It's true. I agree. That's what amen means. Jesus is alive. It's okay to agree with that. It's true. No one can disprove it. Jesus is alive. Luke's account stands as a great example of literature in this period of history. And his thoughts and his accounts are actually... Backed up by other historical documents that we have, Jesus is alive. He walks, he talks, he eats. Jesus is alive. Jesus is aware. Jesus is able. Jesus is active. Are you ready for something encouraging to sink into your spirit today to kick you off into 2014 the right way? Come on, somebody. Are you ready for something encouraging in your spirit, some truth, some living word to jumpstart your 2014 the right way? I'm ready. Jesus is alive. Now, what I love... Right in the heart of this chapter, which, you know, Luke didn't number chapters. People did that later. Is this story of the resurrected Jesus showing up to two of the followers on the road to Emmaus. Now, you've got to remember, as Luke has given us an account earlier, Jesus had many followers at one stage, a crowd, really, but many devout followers who were identified, who knew each other. And among them, he named 12 of these disciples to be what he called apostles. The topic for another day. Now, we know that one of those 12 has betrayed Jesus and committed suicide. That's Judas. We know another one of the remaining 11 also betrayed Jesus. That's Peter, but responded to his betrayal in a different way received the forgiveness of Jesus and came back. Now, we notice in this chapter 24, the referring... You may notice the topic again for another day, a discrediting of the perspective that the ladies had. Sadly, this is still a point in history where the testimony of women was not valid evidence in a court of law. They had a court of law at that time, and only men were allowed to give testimony that would be considered as evidence. And sadly, these people—men and women who understood the kingdom of God—is neither male nor female, nor Jew nor Greek—we're still missing out on that just a little bit. Is it a little bit baffling to you that Jesus predicted to them that he must be killed and that he would come back to life on the third day? And when the tomb is empty, they still don't believe. Are you paying attention to the story? They don't believe. Cut yourself some slack in the areas where you still don't believe. Ask for help, turn around. Now, what I love in the middle of this, we have the two that are, they've given up. They've left. They're not big name guys. In fact, we don't even get one of their names. We just get Cleopas, poor poor Cleopas. You don't know if that was actually a girl's name, his mom's, grandma's. We don't know. (laughs) These are not two heavy hitters to, to, to what we know historically. These are not the pastors of the churches in the biggest cities. These are not heavy hitters from our fleshly perspective. And yet Jesus cares about them. Remember what we've been talking about. Everything about Jesus communicates with us about God. Everything. Jesus doesn't show up first to Peter, James, John, Matthew. He shows up to these two. He cares. He cares about them even though they've given up on him. Why did they give up? In the story that they're telling Jesus, verse twenty-one, they say, "We had hoped he would be the Messiah that would restore Israel. We had hoped." You know, I believe seasons are a God idea. God certainly, the one who created the earth, moon, sun, and stars, put seasons in order. Winter has a purpose, right? It kills insects. It it does some really good cleansing thing. It kills underbrush. If you've ever tried farming or hunting, it's winter's important. And spring is important. Summer is important. And the harvest time. And then the fall is important. You know, we get the lunar calendar, maybe not from Christian tradition, but seasons are a God idea. And so whether or not you use New Year's, as an opportunity for you to take stock in your life and ask yourself some good hard questions and set forth a plan to do something a little bit differently, whether or not you choose that, or maybe it's your birthday. For some of us, it's your birthday. For me, growing up as a kid, my dad would always use spring break as just kind of an opportunity to, in the midst of all the kind of fun activities, to just stop and have an early morning walk and just ask me about the previous year and ask me about what I thought the next year would be like, and just to kind of speak into my life. And so the spring kind of has always. Been been for me a time where I kind of take stock and that's a good healthy thing to do some of us can live in stress fear and anxiety and get to the point where our fear is kind of controlling our life and it's actually a healthy thing to just stop and say you know what what's the worst that could happen because when we actually think about it if the worst that's happened either I'm in heaven or I have an opportunity to start over more dependent on God than I ever was before. I don't get stressed out when we have a low Sunday like this, because I know everyone will come back <laughs> from North Carolina, Texas, and all the other God—no, all the other places that they are. No. But what the worst that could happen? This building is leveled by an earthquake. We can't find everyone. I will start over. It's healthy to just say, what's the worst that could happen? Because Jesus is alive, able, active, aware. And because he is, even if the worst thing happens, happens, I'm good. Do you hear me? There's hope in Jesus. We can't miss the fact that we have two evidences that these guys had given up. One, they say it, right? Right? They say it. We had hoped. And then even in their last statement before Jesus really speaks to them, they're telling about the res, the empty tomb story, but something about, you know, that in just reading these words, you don't get the tone of voice, you don't get their body language what they're doing with their eyes because they're just telling the story about the empty tomb but the way that they said it must have communicated that they'd given up because jesus response and this is kind of a man-to-man response so ladies if you'll forgive this jesus very direct as a man can speak to a man you foolish people i pity the fool you foolish people You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in Scriptures. Now, I don't think we should look over the fact that Jesus multiple times walks them through the Scriptures about Himself. New Year's is a great time to start a new Bible reading plan. It is. Don't give up. Start with just trying to touch it once a day. Not even read it. Just touch it. once. Find it and touch it. Some of you, that's easy because it's on your phone. You're already touching that 20,000 times a day. (laughs) Touch it once a day. Open it once a day. YouVersion.com, the Bible app for free. You can get reading plans that will walk you through reading it through the year. Last year, I really enjoyed the chronological approach that rearrange the books in the order that the events actually occurred. It was a lot of fun, but it made revelations at Christmas time a little weird. <laughs> it's easier than it has ever been before to read through the Bible in a year. And if you read through the Bible in a year, you don't get stuck on little weird details. You focus on the big story. And when you focus on the big story, you get a better sense of what God's up to. And when you start in Genesis, you understand why Jesus needed to come. There's a reason that Jesus took them through the scriptures. And Jesus said, and Jesus actually gives us the classifications for the scriptures. The law of Moses, referring referring to the first five books of the Bible that he would have memorized by the age of 12. And the prophets, which were the prophetic books in the Old Testament. And the Psalms, that's our three classifications of the Old Testament scripture. Jesus says, hey, I'm revealed in every one of these types of scripture. Let's move on. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive, aware, able and active when things don't work out the way we thought they would. Let me say that again. Jesus is alive, aware, able, active. When things don't turn out the way we thought they would, the way that we hoped that they would. When you suffer a loss, and maybe that's what 2013 means to you, it can become something that you carry, not something that you've let go of. And it can make life heavy. You know, 2013, for Rebecca and I, there's two specific examples of loss. In 2000, we had bought our first home. And conservative loan, conservative home value, conservative neighborhood, really stable and survived a lot of the craziness that the market went through, 2007, 2008. But after we got here, Baltimore 2010, it just the value just completely tanked. And we lost the house, and it was finally official in the spring of 2013. Our first home, it kind of has some emotional thing, the first time you own a home. Easy opportunity to ask God why, you know? And I mean, we put over $100,000 over the 12 years into the home. Gone. I've been laid off a couple of times in my life. I've gone through some stuff like that, but losing a home is different. And then this past week, my mom's mother in Kansas passed away. Right after service, I go to the airport to meet them and go for the funeral tomorrow night. Maybe you lost a loved one. Maybe it was not death. Maybe it was a separation, a broken relationship that you don't see how it can be restored. Suffering a loss can become carrying something that God hasn't asked us to carry. It doesn't mean that he's not aware. It doesn't mean that the loss isn't real. It doesn't mean that there won't always be something missing. I think that we actually don't give God enough credit for how powerful he is when we pretend like it will all be the same. Because the reality is it won't. Now, the reality is that Jesus can bring healing. But that healing doesn't bring the person back to life. The healing doesn't give me the house back. But it is still healing. It is still strength. It is that now I can stand in strength, no longer feeling the pain of the loss because of Jesus. So what does Jesus do? He comes to two guys who had given up. You know, I said there's two evidences we have that they'd given up. The other is that after they've had the revelation of who Jesus is, it says in verse 33, and within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. That's how we, have an ev- that's how we know that they had given up. They only left the city because they'd given up on Jesus. Because it hadn't turned out the way they expected Now, I don't know what loss has been like for you or disappointments or stress or pressure has been like for you in 2013. It may not have started out as I give up on Jesus. But suffering the loss, the pain, the disappointment, the frustration, the stress may have brought you to a place that you've given up on him a little bit. Are we talking real this morning, right? Are you with me? Now, here here's what I find, just to kind of help us define this just a little bit. Here's what happens when we're under pressure, under stress, we suffer a loss, we're disappointed with God, we're disappointed with the last year. We lose perspective. It's a byproduct, it's what happens. We lose perspective. See, Jesus had been crucified. He'd been in the grave in three days. They gave up. They were disappointed. It wasn't what they had hoped. They left. Neither the fact that Jesus was in the tomb nor the fact that they gave up changed the reality of who Jesus was and kept him from coming back to life. It didn't change the reality. But they were still walking to Emmaus because they'd lost perspective. When we're... You ever feel like overwhelmed? I know there's a lot of people with the financial pressure that's in our country right now alone feeling overwhelmed. Feeling like despite all of my hard work, I really don't know if I'm going to eat. Jesus is alive, aware, able, and active. And see, what happens when we lose perspective is that we react. You ever embarrassed about how you react? (laughs) The holidays give me, with our children, plenty of opportunities to react. I lose perspective on who they are, how old they are. Sometimes my wife very gently reminds me how old they are. When we lose perspective, we can react in ways that we wish we hadn't. We can actually, literally, and I, I sadly I see this a lot, believers that lose perspective on who God is and who God has created them to be. And so they react and they make life-altering decisions on a reaction. that's not what God wants for us. It's not His best for us. Is this making sense? It's just human nature. And just to help you relax, there's a lot of people around the room nodding just like you are. That's what they had done. We had hoped that He would be the Messiah we expected Him to be, but He wasn't, was He? You don't hear a lot of Christians say this sort of stuff about Jesus, do you? Jesus was not the Messiah that they had hoped for, but he was the Messiah that Scripture predicted. He did not at that time set up the political kingdom of Israel, but he was the Messiah whose message was what? In verse 47, this message, there is forgiveness of sins, for all who believe, your past wiped out, you no longer having to live that way with that identity, with that thing hanging over you. you. We need to regain perspective. We need to see things, ourselves, our life, and Jesus for what they really are. Amen? Amen. I think it's okay for us to pray and ask God for grace and peace. So Paul writes about all the time, grace and peace to you. I, I look at it a little bit like this. Just one aspect of grace is the space. When you're stressed and you're under pressure, you need space, right? I need a little bit of time. I need, I need this to get out of my face for a minute so I can breathe. I think it's okay to ask God for space, for grace, for peace, which is also comes in the form of clarity. It's okay to ask God to help you to see your life, your finances, your home, your relationships, your brain, your emotions, your future. Ask God to help you see those things the way that He sees them so that you will return to your priority. So instead of losing perspective, we know what our God-given priorities are. Because when we know what our God-given priorities are, we are no longer living our lives in a form of reaction. But we now can respond. Because from God we get a dream. We get a vision. We get hope of what our life can be. We get mission. We get purpose. We can make value-based decisions. It's really good sometimes to just stop and put everything away. All the hurdles, all the obstacles, put it all away. Sit down with your Bible and a pen and paper and say, God, what do you want me to do this year? This is something, I kid you not, that I do every year. Every year I sit down with God and say, God, okay, punt everything that's going on right now. I'm ready to walk away from everything, except my marriage and my children now, But started out as a teenager doing this. God, I'm ready to leave everything behind. I did this every year at college. What do you want me to do now? Zero it out. I'm ready to walk away from everything. God, what do you want me to do? From that, we discern our roles. And for every role that we have, I'm a Jesus follower, I'm a husband, I'm a father, before I'm a pastor and a neighbor, and a citizen. For every role, we should get goals. And within every goal that we get for our role, we should aim to serve and surprise the people that are in our life. So now I've got priorities, and now I can respond. Because I have the grace, the space, the peace, the clarity to live my life the way that Jesus wants me to. So if I accept the reality that Jesus is alive... He's aware. He's aware of what's going on in my life. He's able to help. He's able to change everything. He's active. Then His words should mean something. Let's take a left-hand turn and go to Matthew 6. I think this is really helpful perspective from Jesus as we go into 2014. I don't see anybody in the room who's not a hard worker, so I'm not afraid of you taking this the wrong way. I've got a lot of people that are capable of great plans, great strategy. Luke chapter 6, let's start in verse 25. Are you there? Matthew, thank you. Matthew 6. Thank you, Ron. Verse 25, Matthew six twenty-five. This is why I tell you not to worry about your everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink, enough clothes to wear, Isn't life more than food? Most translations say, isn't your life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. And yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, will he certainly care for you? Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek first, or seek the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously, and He will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. But Jesus says, "Live righteously." We've got to remember the context of everything else that He said in this setting. That word righteous word is that word of in right relationship with God and in right relationship with each other. So you can't take this, don't worry, don't be happy to mean that you can go check out, quit your job, stop paying the bills, stop taking care of your family. That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is where's your focus? Where's your perspective? Have you lost perspective and are you living your life out of reaction? I have priorities for you. And his word that he uses here first, seek First, Matthew 6.33, is a priority word. It means something that is higher in value than anything else. It is first in rank, first in value. Seek first the kingdom of God and then all these things will be added unto you. We make a mistake when we seek first to satisfy our own desires and take care of ourselves and try to prove who we are instead of seeking first Jesus. Isn't your life more than clothes? Come on, somebody. Isn't your life more than what you drive? Do you think my kids will ever remember or know if the van we're driving now is a 1974, 2000, well, they might remember 74, a 2000 or 2012? No. Do you think they'll ever know how much was in the checking account this month? No. No but they will remember how we love them. So people in your life get who you are more than what you say. You're living your life out of priority. Out of priority. Asking God for the grace and space, the clarity, the peace, so that you can hear from Him what He wants you to do, how He wants you to live. And then you can respond. There are Certainly, uh, Jimmy, if you you come back, there's certainly uh, adjustments that may need to happen in your life. Sometimes we have adjustments that need to be made, but God is wanting us to live by priority. So when you live by priority, you've made value-based decisions. You are confident about how your life is. You no longer think that you have no choices. Coming to believe that your life is a disappointment, as the two on Emmaus did, and that you have no choices, which is what they did. I can't find another job. I can't, these are the bills. These are what they are. They're, I have no choices. That's the, one of the biggest lies of the enemy that he wants you to believe. Yeah. You do have a choice. You can live somewhere else, you can work somewhere else. What does God want for you? There is something else that's possible. What does God want for you? We normally have a time every Sunday where we are able to pray for each other. And I wanted to do it just a little bit differently today than we usually do. If you'll just bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. If you're here today and this is really speaking to you and you would like to receive prayer, I'd just like for you to raise your hand, please. You can put them down. And now I'd like to ask, as far as I know, everyone in the room here is a believer. I'd like to ask you to join me as I pray for them and for a good start to 2014. God, I pray right now for every person who's raised their hand, who's identified their need. Lord, we ask that you would give us the space. The grace that we need. God, I ask that you would intervene. That you would get involved. They've identified their need. That you would give them clarity. That you'd help them to see things the way that you see them. That you would able... Enable them to see that help is on the way, that you would give them peace in knowing that you are they are in your hands, that you would give them peace in knowing that you will take care of them better than you take care of the flowers in the field and the birds of the air. Give them this grace and peace today. God, I ask that you would help each one of us to zero out the end of this year, to let go of the things that you want us to let go of, Walk away from the things you want us to walk away from. To listen to you, to allow you to set our priorities, that we could come to a place of responding instead of reacting. Come today, right now. Lord, we have people in the room and in our church that are in need of jobs, vocation, good opportunities. And we have people in the room that are in need of physical healing and miracles in their body. We have families in the church where there is salvation that is needed for people to come to repentance of sin and salvation. God, we don't look to the past. We don't live on our feelings. We believe that you're a God of miracles and we ask for miracles. We agree together today and we say, God, stand. Speak to our enemy. Bind or devour, unleash miracles. God, miracles of healing in the name of Jesus. Miracles of new jobs. Miracles of hope where there is no longer hope miracles of peace, miracles of joy in the name of Jesus, miracles of repentance of sin and salvation and deliverance from depression and deliverance from chemical addiction and from drug addiction and deliverance even now in jail cells, deliverance right now in the name of Jesus, that this would be a year, 2014 would be a year marked with miracles, That Baltimore would sit up and take notice that our God is a living God. Have your way among us. Have your way among us, God, we ask. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Do you believe? Now to close our time this morning, I want to actually give you a little bit of instruction, which is... A little bit unusual. And for some of you, this will be a first. You can keep playing. Matthew 6 is a good place to camp out. In Matthew 6, before the passage that we read that you may have heard before, Jesus has three phrases that apply to the normal Christian life that I find sadly vacant from most believers. He says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. That's the context in which Jesus says, seek first, uses that first word, which is very important. Seek first the kingdom of God and then all things, right? Seek first the kingdom of God. Then he says, don't worry. But it's not, Christianity is not this blank check where I can just not worry. Separate from a personal interaction with Jesus that causes life change. Do you hear what I'm saying? Life change. Now, what on earth is Jesus asking us to do? He's asking us to respond. And our response should include focus. A focus on Jesus. And this is what I'm calling our church to. January 6th through the 26th. I want you to enjoy New Year's, but get ready for something better in 2014. We're to respond with a focus on Jesus. Are you seeking first the kingdom of God? It's not for the crazy people. It's not for the professional Christians, the one that always pray, and you sit back and listen to them pray. This is for everybody. Focus, cleanse, your spirit needs a cleansing. Come on, you'll clean something in your life, at least your underwear. Clean your spirit, a cleansing of your spirit. A very specific decision to follow Jesus and to invest ourselves in Him. Now, when you give, we can understand giving money to the church and to other people. We can understand giving our time, giving our energy. We can understand when you pray, we're growing in that here a little bit. What is this fast word? Does that mean my quick titch, my quick twitch speed off the line? What is He talking about? Well, I'm glad you asked. Fast is going without to focus on God. You know, you can't really enjoy a milkshake and a burger at the exact same time. There are good things that God has provided for you in your life that can fill you up to a point where you're not hungry for God. I'm not talking about bad things. Bad things should be forsaken all year. A biblical fast, going without to focus on God. And that's what we're going to do as a church, January 6th to the 26th. Now, of course, it's a personal thing. Of course, you should ask God what he should have you do. And if you've never done this before, I'm not trying to lead, uh, lay a guilt trip on you, but I am, we are here to help you grow in your faith and to grow up a little bit. And that also includes growing up in our understanding of the Scripture and the things that Jesus himself did not do away with from the Old Testament. Hello? Matthew 6, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. Going without to focus on God. Now, what do we go without? We have one passage of Scripture that even refers to a husband and wife going without sexual intercourse for a set period of time. It is not just food. Some of us need to just not focus on food. Some of us need to focus on certain activities. And this is not to try to earn favor with God. It's not to try to prove that you're good. God's not going to love you more. He just doesn't give you a better house in heaven. It doesn't, it's not like that. Okay? You don't earn anything. You don't get anything. You know, it's not, it's not like that. And it's not to atone for sin. Jesus plus nothing equals your forgiveness. But if you want to grow, if you want your life to change, it will cost you. So there's some activities that we just need to stop. And maybe you need to sit down today with God, your Bible, a pen and paper, while I'm asleep at the airport. Just going to be honest, I only had a couple naps last night. Sit down with a Bible, and a pen and paper. I've already made my decision. I've already heard from God. And choose what activities you're going to go without. Maybe video games. I have media here too. It may be that you just need a break from everything with a screen. That would change your life for real. Maybe the phone should just be a phone again. Now, I'm not trying to tell you this should be between you and God. But normally, if you feel the ouch, God's kind of involved somewhere. Going without so that I have more time to focus on God. I hear so often, is God really with me? Does God really love me? Is God really for me? Well, if all of my time is full with everything but Him, how can I be aware of Him? It's not a guilt trip. It's not legalism. It's just practical. How can you be aware of Him if you're always doing other stuff? Picking some activities, picking some media. For me, I always, I love music. I'm crazy about music. I cut out music. I cut out recreational internet stuff. I cut out, like, if it's not work on the internet or with music, and you'll still see social media posts from me because I scheduled them before January 6th. They automatically post, thank you, Hootsuite. I cut it out how else will I have more time to realistically be with Jesus and be aware of his presence? So maybe that's where you need to start this year. Some people have taken Daniel's vegetarian diet in the Bible to mean a 21 day of no meats and no sweets. Now, if you've never fasted before, this is a really good, healthy way to just kind of help your digestive system. There's medical journals published things that tell us that it actually helps your digestive system to get a break from sugar, to get a break from meat. Okay? So it's medical. Now, please, if you have medical conditions, consult with your doctor. Please, be wise. And what I find is best is to when you slow down. Slow down. Don't go cold turkey. Now the other way to do this is a partial fast. So that could mean a variety of things. That could mean certain foods and not other foods that I'm not eating during a period of spending more time on God. Now for me, on a regular basis throughout the year, I will go without a lunch lunch food and spend that time praying instead. And sometimes it's not I just sit and I'm quiet with God. It's really nice put on some worship music, and just quiet my brain. Really helpful. But a partial fast can be skipping one meal, a go without one meal in that day. A partial fast can be certain kind of foods. It can be different things. A full fast is when you go down to liquid only or water only. Now that's something that you need to be careful about talk to your doctor about, read material. We have people here in the room that have done this. My advice that have read books, medical books, as well as biblical books and the Bible itself to investigate this and go further. I have known people... And there are medical journals that say that going without food entirely and just water for three days, seven days, 14 days, 21 days, 40 days, actually has medical benefits. There's medical research that actually says that giving your digestive system a break and just going on water actually slows the aging process. New research in the last two or three years that actually slows the aging process. How many of you would like that? Right? That's what a full fast is. Now, fast can be different things. And in the Bible, Bible, that's where we see a fast that's sunrise to sunset. Or one that starts at sunset and goes to sunrise. That's not really, you're just sleeping. Okay. So you can, it can be partial. Now it can also be three days, seven days, 14 days, 21 days, or 40 days. What I have found in my experience is calling the church to 21 days at the beginning of the year to focus on God Raises the spiritual water level of the whole church. Everyone, even people that are not participating in any way, shape, or form, benefit. I've seen this over and over and over again. So I know that this may sound crazy to you. I know you may have never heard it before. There's a great little book out there called Fasting by our friend Jensen Franklin that I recommend. What are some results? Well, you're going to see changes in your appetite. Yeah, okay, your food appetite, but also your spiritual appetite, your carnal appetite, the sin temptations that you have. You're going to see a change in your appetite. Your devotion, your level of devotion to God, to Jesus, and to what's going on in your life. You're going to see a change in that just spiritually, mentally, it removes clutter. You ever felt mentally, emotionally cluttered? Hello? Fasting removes clutter, and it increases your sensitivity. Now, let me put this in a little bit easier words to understand. A fast removes distractions, concentrates your life on God, cleanses your soul, empowers your spirit man or woman, deepens humility, intensifies our prayer, feeds your faith, and produces self-discipline. Solomon wrote, a man without self-control is like a city without walls, meaning anyone can come and take from you at any time. Anyone can steal your peace. We need to grow up in self-control. So I'm calling the church. You call this your home church. You call me your pastor. I'm calling our church from January 6th to the 26th to a time of first. Seek first the kingdom of God. A time of fasting. Most will do no meats, no sweets for 21 days. And guess what? We finish on Sunday with a Sunday lunch feast to celebrate the church's three year anniversary. Does that sound like a party? Now, Nate, if you'll put up that site for me, Um, some of you may not ever visit the church Facebook page or benmalman.com or I I post different things, but I have an article up for you because I know a lot of you will want to read more about this and think about it. If you go to benmalman.com or you just click on the link that's on the church Facebook page and put in this article, where's your focus? We actually don't practice Lent. We don't talk about Advent a whole lot, a couple of Christian historical traditions that there is much to learn from. This is actually our way of practicing Lent. And I explain it in this article, the 40 days before um, Easter. So where's your focus? Benwellman.com. The link's on the Facebook page or on the Twitter where you can go to it and read. There's a lot to read and consider, prayerfully consider what God would have you do. January 6th is when we start. I always hated it when my pastor would spring it on me the day of. (laughs) Uh, I need more time to prepare. Okay? All right. Can you stand and we'll just close our time together? I'm excited.